0: So we are uh, in a series on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We started it last week, and last week we learned some really important things about the Holy Spirit. It's interesting because I was talking with some people at this church uh, earlier this week, and they were saying, I don't know a lot about the Holy Spirit. Like, they're new to the Christian faith, they're new to church, and for them the Holy Spirit is a little bit of a mystery. So it's a great time to lean in and learn some things about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And last week we learned really four things, that the Holy Spirit is a person, The Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. The Holy Spirit is divine. The Holy Spirit is God. We're not in control of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to have control over our lives. We learn that the Holy Spirit is relational. He relates to the Father and the Son, and his primary responsibility is to lift up Jesus so we can see Jesus for who he is. And the last thing we learn is that the Holy Spirit is our helper. And that's what I want to pick up this morning, because this morning I want to talk to you about the idea that the Holy Spirit helps us grow. The Holy Spirit helps us grow. There's lots of different ways to measure how we're growing, right? I was thinking about it this week. My girls had some different things at school that were supposed to measure the way that they're growing. My 11-year-old Lilia, she was a little worked up because she had. How many of you remember when you were in school? Remember the physical fitness test? It was the worst. I mean, if you were fit, it was fun, but for the rest of us, it was terrible. It was was a nightmare. And. uh, uh, poor Lillia was all kind of worked up and, and worried about it. And so one of the ways we know whether or not we've grown is we test ourselves, right? We, we, we take these tests, whether it's academic tests or athletic tests, and we get a sense of, are we growing? Another way that we grow is we compete against other people. On Friday, my eight-year-old Caroline, she had a spelling bee. It was her first spelling bee ever. She didn't win, which means it was rigged. But you know, she 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 had a she had a spelling bee, and so she learned some things about how she's growing and how she can grow. And then sometimes we 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 learn uh, we grow just through life experience. Uh, this past Friday night, the zoo had a special event for families with children with special needs called Dream Night at the Zoo. They open the zoo for about two and a half hours just for families with children who have special needs, and they do free food and, and free prizes, and you get to see some of the animals up close. It's a lot of fun, and we've gone the last few years because our youngest, Madeline, has cerebral palsy, and uh, whenever we take her, she, she has an electronic wheelchair that she uses. And every time I see her use it, because she uses it at school, but I don't see her using it. They, they help her learn how to use it. But every time I see her use it in public, I realize she's getting a lot better at this. Like she's really like, you know, we're having to make less apologies, and she's crushing less toes. And like, but it's it's great. I watched her navigate the zoo, and I thought she's really. I could tell that she was growing. She was growing. And then another way that we measure growth is that we get feedback from people. You ask people for feedback. Now, if you ever ask for feedback, make sure you're ready to hear it, right, because people are going to tell you. Or sometimes we use devices to give us feedback, like, like the dreaded scale, right? You stand on the scale, and it's pretty honest. It gives you some feedback, and the scale tells you whether or not you're growing. It's not the sort of growth that you necessarily, not, not certainly the type of growth you want. There's lots of ways that we measure growth. So here's my question this morning. How do we measure growth in our spiritual life? How do we know if we're actually growing in our faith and growing in Christ? We're going to look at a book in the New Testament called Galatians. Galatians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul, probably about 60 to 70 A.D. He was writing to some churches in the Galatia region of Asia Minor where Paul had helped start these churches. So Paul was a church planner. He started these churches on one of his missionary journeys. He was back home and he was writing them a letter because he had heard some concerning things about them. There was a crisis in the life of this young church. And the crisis was basically this. They didn't know what real growth looked like. They thought they were growing, but it was something false. They thought they were growing, but it was something that wasn't real. And so how do they measure growth? And so what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to be a disciple? And this morning, if you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to be in chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5. It's also on your handout for you, or at least part of it is. And in chapter 5, Paul, he is helping the Galatians understand what it looks like to embrace and embody the life of Jesus in their own lives. And that's really what it means to grow as a Christian, is how do we embrace and embody the life of Jesus, the life that is found in Jesus in our own lives? What does it look like to grow? Let's read together Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. It'll be on the screen for you. I'm reading to you from the ESV translation. Paul says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They're in opposition of each other. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Anyone, don't raise your hand, but is anyone able to relate to that? There are times in your life where you do the things you don't want to do, and you don't do the things you know you should do. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Paul's saying there's a new way to approach the Father. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. He gives us a list here. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And here's our key, verse, um, key verses for the morning, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit I know we got a picnic, but let's learn four things first. Four things that we learn from Galatians chapter five about what it means to grow, what it means to grow in the spirit. The first thing is this, true growth is often invisible. It's invisible. In the New Testament, when the writers of the scriptures talk about spiritual growth, they almost always use terms that come from the agricultural world, the agrarian world, the botanical world. They use words like seed and tree and vines, branches, harvest. And here in Galatians five, Paul talks about fruit. Now why? Why these botanical terms? I think the reason why is because true growth, spiritual growth, it's natural, it's not forced, it's organic, it's not artificial, it's slow, it's rarely fast, and very often it can't be seen. It's invisible. You know, we grow in our faith We grow in these ways, and it isn't always immediately obvious. Sometimes growth takes time. You know, like if you were to go plant an apple tree, how long would you have to watch that thing to watch it actually grow? And then even as it blossoms, who sits there and actually watches an an apple appear? You just one day you go out there, and there's the apple. But it takes a long time, and the growth is invisible, and the growth is inward. What does this mean for us this morning? It means a couple things. Number one, it means that when it comes to growing in your faith, you have to trust the process. You have to trust that God is faithfully at work in you. God is working in you to accomplish his purposes and plans in you, and you may wish that you could grow faster. Anyone ever feel that way? You wish you could grow faster in some way in your life? You wish you could get less angry at that person or less angry at that situation or feel less stress over this or less anxiety over this, and we kind of are a microwave generation where we want things to change like that, but the truth is is in in most areas of our lives, growth doesn't happen like that. It's a journey. It's a process, and we submit ourselves to the process of growth. So we have to trust the process. The other thing this means is we have to endure the seasons, don't we? Paul uses this metaphor of fruit and trees and growing. Does fruit grow in all four seasons from the same tree? Of course not. There are seasons where the tree looks dead. It looks like nothing is happening. But something very important actually is happening inside that tree. It's preparing itself for the next season. You know this weekend is the first three days in a row in Syracuse that we haven't had precipitation since September. Can you believe that? Yeah, yeah, praise God, yeah. And it's going to rain tomorrow, so sorry about that. But the first three days in a row with no precipitation. And here we were, you know, you know uh, stuck in winter thinking, I know spring is coming, I know spring is coming. Then we get to spring and we're like, I know summer is coming, I know summer is coming. And summer has been slow. Like really, like this spring has been brutal, cold, and rainy, and we're just kind of learning to endure the seasons. And as a follower of Jesus, there's gonna be seasons in your life where you're gonna feel like this is the best. Like Jesus and I are tight right now. Like we really got something happening. I'm growing. Opening up scripture is giving me so much life. I can't wait to get to church. I can't wait to get down on my knees and pray. Like this is so real to me. And then there's gonna be winters in your life where you're gonna go, oh man, this is really hard. I don't feel anything when I do this. True growth is invisible. We stay faithful it's what God's called us to do, and we trust him with the fruitfulness. And the other thing that this means is that we go through the struggle. Paul makes it really clear in verse 17. It's a struggle. The desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the desires of the flesh. What your body wants, what your heart wants, and what the spirit of God wants for you, they're almost never aligned. They aren't naturally. And so there's a real struggle. Growth is invisible. By the way, you know what else this means? It means that the people closest to you won't always see that you're growing. That can be discouraging, right? But the people closest to you won't always see it. And we might actually be the last people to see it in those who are closest to us. Parents, you've had this experience where you watch your child grow day after day after day, and because you see them every day, their growth isn't as startling or shocking or surprising to you. But then maybe a relative who hasn't seen them in years comes to visit, and they see your child, and what do they say? Oh my oh my goodness, they've, they've grown so much. Why? Because the closer you are to growth, sometimes the harder it is to actually see it. And so sometimes it's hard for us to see the growth in people around us. It's hard to see the growth in ourselves. What it means is we need to be patient with the people closest to us. We'd like them to grow a lot faster than they are. And here's the secret, they would like you to grow a lot faster than you're growing. We need to be patient with each other, allow the Holy Spirit to do his job. This, this This will give you, some of you parents, a lot of peace. You're not the Holy Spirit. You don't have to play the role of the Holy Spirit. You can't change the heart of your child. You can't change your own heart. What do we do? We trust that the growth is invisible even when we can't see it. So true growth is invisible. Second thing we learn in Galatians 5, true growth is interconnected. It's interconnected. Now, one of the things about having children in your life is that they're always asking you to define words. You, 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 have the, you deal with this, parents? Or am I the only one that deals with this? We'll say a word and they'll want you to define. What does that word mean? And you think you're good with the English vocabulary until children start asking you to define words. And then you're like, I don't. I I do a lot of like Google searching and Wikipedia. Like I don't know how to, the words make sense to me, but I don't know how to explain them to other people. But defining our terms is important. And what I wanna do this morning is I wanna define these nine fruit of the spirit, these nine characteristics individually. And we're gonna go quick here. We're gonna spend a little time on love, but then we're gonna go quick through the other eight, so stick with me. Let's look at what each of these means. And as I kinda unpack what love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, what these words actually are, Begin to do a self-evaluation and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me look at my own life. Am I bearing this sort of fruit? This is not to make you feel guilty, but this is so you have a sense of where you're at. So Paul starts with love, of course, because love is the highest priority. And the word that Paul uses here in the Greek is the word agape, and in the Greek language, they really had three words for love. We have one word for love. I say I love ice cream, I love the Yankees, I love my children. Now, those are all different types of love, hopefully, uh, but, but we have one word for it. The, the, the Greeks had multiple words. They had at least three. They actually probably had more. But they had phileo, from which we get the city of Philadelphia, which is brotherly love, friendship love. Eros, from which we, were, we get the word erotic. You can figure out what kind of love that is. And then they had another word called agape. And agape was a word that almost was hijacked and taken by Christianity because it really only fit Christianity. And here's what agape means. Agape is a type of love that always seeks the highest of the other no matter what he or she does or has done. It is a self-giving love that gives freely without asking for anything in return, and it never considers the worth of its object. That's pretty remarkable love, to give freely, regardless of the worth of its object and regardless of it getting anything in return. The truth is is that in our world today, love is a commodity that we trade instead of a no-strings-attached gift, right? I'll love you if, fill in the blank, I will love you as long as, fill in the blank. Love is a commodity that we trade. We offer it in return for something else. I was reading an article this week in the New York Times Magazine by David Brooks. He was talking about social media and how social media has changed the game when it comes to love, and here's something he said that I thought was really insightful. He said, attention and affection, love, attention and affection have gone from being private bonds to being publicly traded goods. So now we put our love and affection and attention, we trade it out there for everyone to see. Love is a commodity for many people. But agape love is not a commodity to trade, it's a no-strings-attached, free gift. Now here's the question, how? How do we love people that way? How do we love people regardless of who they are, what they've done, how they treat us, what they can do for us in return? And I think the solution is we need a source of our own love that is undeserved and unlimited. And central to the Christian faith is the message, you have that love. The love of God for you is undeserved, and it's unlimited, and it always provides for you. Imagine that uh, I, had a magic, I had a bunch of magic flowers, and this magic flower, whoever you gave it to that morning, it had the power to make the rest of their day the best day of their life. And I gave you one flower. I said, this is the power that this flower has. Use it carefully. You would be very kind of, almost stingy, and well, selectives may be a better word, very selective, right, with who you give it to. Not the first person you see. You wanna give it to the right person because you only got one of them to give. Now let's say the person next to you, I say, I'm gonna give you 10 of these flowers. That person's gonna be slightly less selective. I'll I'll, I'll give, I got 10 to give, so I'll give a little more out. I, I can afford to give it out. But what if the last person, I said to them, you have an unlimited amount of flowers to give. You can, as long as you give flowers, you're going to have more flowers to give. What would any normal sort of um, healthy person do? They'd give it to every single person they see. Because they're not stingy, they're not selective, because their source is unlimited. Until we've experienced God's love and we sense his unlimited love poured into us, poured onto us, poured through us, we're going to be very stingy and selective with who we love. We won't bear this sort of fruit, agape. Love. Second one is joy. Joy. The Greek word for joy is kara, which is derived from the word charis, which is the Greek word for grace. So joy comes from grace, and what this means is that joy isn't based on human happiness that comes and goes. True joy is a spirit-given expression that flourishes best in hard times, so if you think you're a joyful person, but you're only joyful when life is good, that's not joy. That's not the joy that, that Paul's writing about here. This is joy that flourishes best in hard times. The second word peace comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which expresses the idea of wholeness and completeness or tranquility in the soul that is not affected by outward circumstances or pressures, and when a person is dominated by this peace, when a person is bearing this fruit, she has a calm inner stability that results in the ability to conduct herself peacefully, even in the midst of circumstances that would normally be very nerve-wracking, traumatic, or upsetting. That's what peace is. This fruit of the spirit of peace is not peace when the world is good, it's peace when the world is falling apart. This is what the spirit wants us to have. Patience, patience is the ability to endure persecution and ill-treatment. It describes a person, listen to this, who has the power to ex- exercise revenge, but instead exercises restraint. Has the power to exercise revenge, but instead exercises restraint. This is patience. Kindness. Kindness is the ability, the idea of being adaptable to others. Rather than harshly, rudely, self centeredly requiring everyone in your world to adapt their needs and desires to your needs and desires, which is our human nature. When kindness is working in a believer, he or she seeks to become adaptable to the needs of those around him or her. So it's how do I adapt my life? How do I adapt my preferences? How do I adapt my schedule? How do I adapt who I am so that I can better know, serve, and love you? That's the kindness that Paul's writing about. Goodness is not just like a good person who's morally good. Goodness actually is, another way you can understand this word is it's a boldness. It's an inner strength. It's a zeal for goodness. Goodness are people who can speak the truth, even if it rebukes and corrects and chastises people. This is boldness. Faithfulness is a characteristic of God. It means consistently doing what one says they will do. That's a big deal in our world today, somebody actually giving their word and keeping it. That's faithfulness. Gentleness. Gentleness is not an indication of weakness, but it's power and strength under control. When you're wrestling with a little kid on the floor and having fun with them and playing against them, and you're pretending that it's a difficult match, what are you doing? you're exercising gentleness because you have the power to crush that little child. You have the power to win. But because you want to engage with them and have a relationship with them, you withhold power so that you can have a relationship. That's gentleness. It's power under control. Self-control is a discipline given by the Holy Spirit that allows us to resist the power of the flesh. Here's the ironic thing about self-control. You can't give it to yourself. Remember, these are the fruit of the Spirit. We need the Spirit to, to, to give us these things. Now, I just defined all of those. And you may think, well, okay, so there's nine different fruit of the spirit. Which ones do I want? Which ones do I not want? <laughs> I really like joy because I want to be happy, but the whole like self-control thing, not interested. The fruit of the spirit is not like a Chinese buffet. <laughs> you can't just go and get what you want and leave the rest up there. And the reason we know this is because when we look at Galatians 5 closely, Paul says the fruit of the spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. He uses the singular term for the word fruit. And here's what Paul is saying. It's a package deal. You got to grow in all these areas. It's symmetrical growth. If you're growing in four of the areas, but in five of the areas, you're nowhere even on there. I realize we're going to have different strengths and weaknesses, okay? But I mean, if you are not growing at all in all certain areas, then there's a problem. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, if it's not all there, it's not there at all. If you don't have all of these, then, then none of them really are what they look like. In other words, he's saying, if you have love but you don't have joy, what you think is love actually isn't love. If you have patience but you don't have peace, whatever you're describing as patience and defining as patience, it's something counterfeit to patience. It's something else. And he, and he actually gives some really neat examples. Let me share them with you before we get to our third point. How about if you're patient but you're not loving? Seems impossible, but patient but not loving. Here's what it means. You tolerate other people. You rise above their issues, but in your heart you disdain them. You're patient towards them, but it's almost because like you're better than them. You think they're not even worth your energy or worth your time, so you just deal with them. You're too cultured, you're too mature, you're too educated to appear impatient. You're above impatience. You're better than those people. That's what it looks like to be patient, but not loving. That's not real patience. What about self-controlled but no joy? You're very fastidious with how you live your life. You got all your rules. You follow them very carefully, but you're a miserable person. That's actually what, unfortunately, a lot of people outside of the church world think of people in the church. They're people who, like, follow rules but aren't very happy people, not fun to be around. What does that mean? Well, if you have a lot of self-control, quote, unquote, but there's no joy in your life, then you might be self-righteous. You might be using your, quote unquote, self-control, your morality, your upright living as a way to prove yourself, save yourself, make yourself feel superior to people who don't live as good as you. That's not what self-control is about here. How about if you are faithful, but there's no peace in your life? You're doing things and you're showing up, but you're not experiencing any peace. The Keller says, you might be staying, fa- you might be staying faithful to things, you might be being faithful to rules, faithful to regulations, faithful in traditions, but it's all in an attempt to get control. Your faithfulness is your attempt to get control over your life. Your faithfulness is even your attempt to put God under your control because you've been so faithful, now you control God. And that's not, guess what? The attempt to get control over every area of your life is never going to lead you into peace. As long as you need to have control, you're not going to experience peace. True growth is interconnected. We gotta go after all of them by the help of the Spirit. So at this point, maybe you're feeling the tension. You have a how. Like that's a lot of stuff and the descriptions just made me more depressed. I thought it was hard enough when I read the verse but then you just described it for me and now it's even worse. Thanks. Well, the news gets worse before it gets better, okay? Third point is this. True growth is impossible. True growth is impossible. Remember, this is the fruit of who? The Spirit. Listen, some of you need to hear this. This is not the fruit of a good person. This is not the fruit of a disciple. This is not the fruit of a di- Christian. You can't manufacture or create this fruit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit has to bear this fruit in your life. And in John chapter 15, Jesus himself is talking about this metaphor of fruit. I wanna read to you what he says. It'll be on the screens for you. I'm reading to you from the message translation. John 15, verse four. John, Jesus says to the disciples, live in me, Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you're joined to me. He's saying it's impossible to bear fruit on your own. You can't do this. If I was to, we have an apple tree that grows in our front yard where we live over here in Liverpool. It only blooms like two every three years. I don't understand, but 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 we have an apple tree. If I were to go out there this spring and cut one of the branches off, bring it inside and put it on the counter, in the air and Aaron said, David, what in the world? Why are you bringing that branch and taking up all this counter space? What are you going to do? I said, Well, I'm sick of going out there to pick apples, so we'll just take them from here. No apples on the branch yet. She would say, Dude, It's not. Nothing's gonna happen. We're disconnected. This is what Jesus is saying. He says the branch can't bear grapes by itself, but it has to stay connected to the vine. Verse five, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And when you're joined with me and I'm joined with you, the relation, I love this, is intimate, and it's organic, it's not forced. And the harvest is sure to be abundant. But separated, you can't produce a thing. Here's what Jesus is saying. On your own, this is impossible. You can't do it. In fact, on your own, this is miserable. It's exhausting. It's frustrating. Many of us fall into the trap of thinking that we can grow just by trying harder that we can somehow achieve growth, but it doesn't work that way. Jesus makes it clear here. True growth will never be achieved by your effort alone. It's impossible. It's not just your effort. It's not just you trying hard. When's the last time you drove by a fruit tree and you looked at it and you said, oh, look how hard that tree is trying. Look how, look look at that apple tree. just, like, the apple tree is just groaning and just, like, exerting so much energy, and boy, that apple tree looks exhausted. I bet his apples are gonna be big because he's worked out, and he's doing his absolute best. No, apple trees, that's not how it works. They don't try hard to bear fruit. They bear fruit, why? For one simple reason. They're in the right environment. They're in the right environment. Their roots are deep. They have access to water, to sunshine, to soil, to wind, to nutrients, to other animals, and these things help them grow. So the question for us this morning is, what's the right environment for us as believers to grow in? And Jesus says in John 15, the right environment is you need to be connected to me. You must abide in me and I will abide in you. We have to stay together because you can't bear any fruit apart from me. You won't grow anything lasting, you won't grow anything eternal. You'll be like a maple tree taping apple trees to itself. You won't be the real thing and it will not last. We do this though with our own lives, don't we? We disconnect and then we ask, how come I'm still frustrated? How come I'm not satisfied? How come there's no desires in me to serve God? We disconnect from the very source of life and then we expect ourselves to be able to produce things like love, patience, peace, and joy. It's impossible. We know this, don't we? Think about other areas of your life, your career. If you wanna grow in your career, what do you have to do? You have to keep learning. You gotta go to trainings, you gotta go to seminars you got to do on-the-job learning, right? If you want to grow physically, you got to go to the gym. If you want to grow uh, with sports, you got to practice. If you want to grow at, a, at an instrument, you got to practice and learn and listen to more music and do sorts of things. And we're really good at it in other areas of our lives, but one of my concerns is that we're really not very consistent with it in our spiritual lives. We do a lot of things to make ourselves grow in other ways, but we spend very little time investing into the one thing that actually lasts beyond this world, our spirit, who we are before God. So my question this morning is, what are you doing? What's your plan for spiritual growth? What are the rhythms of your life as far as opening up scripture, being in prayer, listening to sermons, reading books, gathering together, being in church? We have uh, grow classes on Wednesday nights. If, you know, if someone says to me, I'm really not growing in Jesus, I'm really not feeling like I'm in love with Jesus, one of the things eventually I'm going to ask them is, tell me about the rhythm of your week. Like We're doing a lot of things here, not a lot of things, but we're doing some things here at the church to help people grow. And if people, There's a lot of different reasons why people don't tap in. I understand that but that's one of the first things i want to ask. Someone comes to me and says, my my home's falling apart. Well, let's talk about the way in which you are scheduling your life so that you're growing spiritually. If we're gonna bear the Spirit's fruit, we need to remain in the sun because true growth is impossible without the Spirit. Here's the last point. And it's gonna seem like it contradicts the third point, but I'll explain. The last point is this. True growth is inevitable. It's inevitable. You might be thinking, hold on, which one is it? Is it impossible or is it inevitable? And here's how we have to understand this. On our own, true growth is impossible. But in Christ, true growth is inevitable. Jesus said it himself, if you remain in me, you're going to bear fruit, and there's going to be such a harvest. Not just the harvest of fruit in your life, but the fruit of people's lives that you're changing and touching. You know, in the right environment, things bear fruit. Think about this. Apple trees bear apples. Cherry trees bear cherries, right? Pear trees, could we, we could do this all morning, couldn't we? Pear trees bear, uh, bear pears, that's hard to say. Peach trees bear the new peach milkshake at Chick-fil-A, that's what I think. But you know, we, ha- we have this idea that fruit trees bear that fruit. It's inevitable, it's going to happen. And when Paul says that we need to walk by the Spirit, this means that it should affect the conduct of our lives, that we should actually be changing. And here's what inevitable growth means. If true growth is inevitable, then it means that if there's no change in your life, If you can't look back at your life the last year or two years and see more love at work in your life towards people who are hard to love, more patience uh, in your place of employment or when you drive, uh, more peace when you feel out of control about your children's lives or feel out of control about the world, more self-control in certain areas. If you can't see any of that, then the solution isn't just try harder. It isn't gonna work. Again, that's like taping fruit to a tree that's dying. It's not not to pretend that you're something that you're not. The solution is to go back to the very roots of our lives and say, am I in Christ? Am I remaining in Christ? Jesus finishes his passage in John 15 with these humbling words. Verse 16, he says this to his disciples. He says, hey, hey guys, you didn't choose me. Remember, I chose you. And I put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil And as fruit bearers, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. Here we find the final key to true growth, remembering that he chose you. Remembering not that you chose him first, but that he chose you. As long as we think it's about our choosing and our sacrifices and the things that we've done, we're never really going to worship God. We're never going to really be in awe of God. We're not even going to be thankful because we're going to be thanking ourselves for all the things that we've done to bear fruit. But God chose you to bear fruit. Before Before you could ever choose him, he chose you. He made the greatest sacrifice to have you, to call you his own. Even though he created you, he still bought you back. And that's redemption. And that's how we grow. So growth... It's impossible but it's also inevitable. Let me give you an example of what this looks like and then we'll pray and we'll close. Um, This past Friday, my friend Jonathan Valletta, he invited me to a gym down in the city. Now I go to the YMCA to work out. This is a very different type of gym. This is a rock climbing gym. Any of you ever gone rock climbing? CNY Rock Gym or something like that, right down in Franklin Square. And he was like, this is how they got me there. Listen to this lie. I hope you listen to this, Jonathan. They said, they said, if you can climb a ladder, you can climb a wall. Same thing. I was like, well, I mean, what kind of grown man is not going to admit to be able to climb a ladder? So I'm like, I can climb a ladder. I can't remember the last time I climbed a ladder, but I can climb a ladder. And so I, I go to the rock climbing gym, and, and I get there, and they, they harness me in. You know, you get your, you get your harness on, and, and Jonathan's been trained. He knows how to belay people, which means he can be the person who kind of guides you up the wall and makes sure that when you let go, you don't come crashing down. And so we go, and, and the first wall is 40 feet high. And so I, I said, well, just take me to one of the easiest ones. And so I climb up, and I'm only like 10 feet off the ground, and Jonathan's like, "Now, just stop. I'm thinking, what am I, am I doing something wrong? He goes, no. He goes, just stop, and, and let, me, let me lower you. You need to fall to the ground, because by the time you get to 40 feet, if it's the first time you try to fall, you're never going to fall. You're not going to let go, because you're going to be so panicked, you're going to think it's not going to work. She's like, let me just prove to you it works when you're only 10 feet off the ground. And so I get to 10 feet off the ground. I fall back. I'm like, okay, all right, I trust him. I climb to the top 40 feet and I get up and he's like, don't hold on to anything. Now that goes against all your natural human instincts. He's like, just repel off the wall all the way down, using your feet to push you off the wall. But don't and I I couldn't mentally, I could not break that that that, that mental block. I had to hold on to the rope. So I'm holding onto the rope as I'm going. He told me when I got down. He's like, you're not helping yourself. Like that does literally nothing. You don't, don't even bother. So, so we do that, and he's like, let's go upstairs. I'm like, what's upstairs? He goes upstairs is like where, where the adults climb, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> like all right, all right, <laughs> so we go upstairs, and now it's like, f- I think the downstairs might have been 30 feet high, actually, the upstairs is 50 feet high, and, and I mean, it looks so high when you're standing there, and so I, I start climbing up this wall, here's a picture, actually, I summited, I got all the way up to the top, uh, and I, I get to the top of the wall, and now I'm 50 feet high in the air, and I have to just trust him, I have to just trust him. I have to let go and I have to come back. And I was thinking later about my experience at the rock climbing gym and I thought about the Christian life and growth and I thought of two words, trying and trusting. Trying and trusting. Now if I don't trust, I'm never gonna try, am I? I'm never gonna climb. If I don't trust that he's got me, I'm never gonna go for it. If I try and he's not there to catch me, I'm in trouble. If I, if I just go up on my own without the trust there and I fall, I'm gonna get hurt. I'm not gonna go all the way. But when I get up all the top and I trust him and I trust in his work, it helps me. Now, what's the relationship here? First off, if if I say I trust you, Jonathan, and I climb up five feet and I just hang there and I don't try, do I really trust? And some of us say, Jesus, I trust you to change me. Holy Spirit, I trust you to change me, but I'm not trying. I'm not putting any effort in. I'm not disciplining myself. I'm not reading scripture, I'm not going to church. I'm just trusting you to do all the work. You know what that means? Listen. You don't really trust. You don't really trust. Trying goes with trusting. Trying flows out of trusting. And as you begin to climb, here's what you're going to find. As you begin to grow in Christ, your trying is not an attempt to save yourself. Your trying is because I trust that God has me. I trust he has me in the way and because I trust him, I have inner strength to try. And as long as you don't trust him, you won't try. But when you begin to trust him, you're going to begin to try. And all of a sudden, you're going to realize he's bearing the fruit in me, but I'm doing my part, too. I'm surrendering myself to God and putting myself in the right environments to grow. And that's true growth. And that's the fruit that the Spirit wants to bear in each of our lives. Let's pray together this morning.